Stand by to the floor in five, four, three, two, one. Coming to you live from the rich heartland of Altamont Springs, Florida, it's The Vic Show with Victor Bowers, brought to you by Super Channel WACX-TV. Take it away! Greetings! Greetings, blank screen! Hello! Hello, welcome to The Vic Show! Okay, let's do, let's do let's do this. Excuse us, people. Let's do this. What are we doing? Oh there, oh, there we are. Let's do that. Okay, hold on, hold on. Oh, oh. What I do? What I do to get your attention? How are you, Vic? Have we had applause yet? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm wearing a yellow shirt, by the way. You can't see. Oh, there you are. Yes. There may be two people out there with a black and white television, so I'm wearing a yellow shirt. Do I still make them? I don't know, but my dad has a black and white TV. Okay. He has a black and white TV. My father does. Yeah. I think he did. He used to. Whatever. I'm Victor Bowers, host of this thing called The Vic Show, coming to you live and in color. And we have flashing light back there, right behind the, oh, well, never mind. No more distraction. <laughs> it's wonderful. I'm so excited to be here. But, right? No, I'm serious. I'm telling you people, the, it is Holy Week, and I have, um, I have a word from the Lord, and I don't, I don't think I'd ever be saying anything like that in public. Um, but God is on, God, listen, God's awesome. We know that. That's an understatement. But sometimes it's the only word we have to express how we feel. And God's doing new things, and God is always doing new things, um, but most of the time we are just not aware of it, or we're just too consumed in our own world, our own stuff. But that doesn't discourage Him. He's always, the door's always open, so He invites you in. So today we're inviting you in to what God's doing, and what God wants to do in your life. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've been told, no matter, none of that matters. In Christ, all things are new. New heavens and new earth. At the end of Revelation, is not death and destruction and the world blowing up. No! Read your Bibles, people. New heavenly Jerusalem descends onto the earth. Onto the earth. Everything happens here. And it's good. It's good. Everything is made new. Everything. Everything. Even the evil is refashioned. Everything. God is good. Okay? Okay, enough of that. Yesterday, speaking of the goodness of the Lord, and by the way, ladies, greetings. Good morning to you. Wonderful, yes. And um, yesterday I drove home, and um, I pulled in my driveway, and um, I looked over, and there was a, it looked like a fake flower in my front yard, which is not really a yard, it's more just a patch of leaves, because I, I live under a big oak tree. But um, I don't know if we can, which, there it is, this camera. Um, if you can, Rick, if you can put it up, there you go. This is what I saw. This is a bird of paradise. It's in my front yard. 
And it was there when I bought the place over a year ago, and now it's, I've kind of started taking care of the front yard, and so things are popping out, and springtime, of course. But when I drove in at, you know, later afternoon yesterday, the sun was hitting it, and it was in full fluorescence. I mean, it looked like it had been plugged into a, to the electricity. It was so bright, this bloom. And then I noticed what looked like an eye. Um, you see that dot there? Because I'm like, wow, does that thing have an eyeball? It looked like an eyeball, but actually it was, it was a, a, um, a drop of tree resin, tree sap that had just dropped down from the oak tree above it and landed right there. But when I looked at it, it looked like an eye, like a real bird, like some kind of heavenly creature that was descending onto my patch of leaves called a front yard. And I just gazed at it. I just looked at it, which is, by the way, what you should do. When something beautiful catches your attention, look at it for 15 seconds. Study it. It will begin to change you on the inside. Even psychology tells us that that when you think about something good and positive for 15 seconds, it will begin to reestablish new thought patterns in your brain. We're so fixated on evil and darkness and the bad news, that becomes normal to us. Hearing bad news becomes normal. But when something beautiful or good like this pops onto your screen in, in your life, take notice of it, because that's God's doing. Science did not create that. God created that. And you know what? He created it just for me, just for Victor. He put it in my yard. He didn't put it in your front yard. He put it in Victor's front yard for me. And so I, I started thinking about God and just saying, this is awesome. And I just felt so privileged. And then, you know, like when something good happens, you want to share it, you know? Yeah. So I'm sharing it with you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and... And that's, that's part of the beauty of being in Christ is you begin to notice these things. And you notice them and they lift your praises to God. It doesn't happen because you fake it or because it's not a performance. It's just a natural expression. And then you want to share it because you want, the thing is, I want all of us to be impacted by this flower today here at work, you know? And it, it kind of added to our conversation this morning, this little flower. And so let it affect you. And also let it teach you however you, it can. That when something is beautiful in your life and you notice it, take it as a sign from the Lord. Take it as a sign from the Lord. Say, thank you, Lord, for bringing me this unexpected gift. Because that's what it is. Receive it as a gift. Don't criticize it. Don't try to rationalize it away. Just be open. Just say nothing. Just say nothing except just look at it. Just let it change you. That's God. That's what, that's the beauty of God. God's first Bible, by the way, wasn't this. God's first word was creation. The creation is God's first word to us. This came along after, this is the second word of God. The first word of God is the created order. All of creation speaks and tells us about God. If you don't agree with me, read Paul. Read Romans 1. The creation is God's first word to us. We want to know who God is? Look out your window. Look at that flower. That'll, that'll point you to God. 
And the Bible, our second word of God, tells us that. Okay? So, that's Vic show update. Flowers in the yard. And uh, any other business we need to get to? Mm. Social media plug. Thank you, Terry. Uh, same stuff, you know, Vic Show on YouTube and uh, Super Channel Orlando is the handle for that. And Vic Show Facebook, you'll see it at the bottom of your screen and official Vic Show on TikTok and I, Instagram. Are we still on TikTok? Yes. Okay. <laughs> making sure, making sure. Hmm. This is Holy Week, the time we're, we're taping this. And, um, it's the time of the year we celebrate and remember the passion of Jesus. Jesus, the God-man who was born of a woman, born of a virgin, um, fully human. I keep stressing that because it's true. And sometimes we want to categorize Jesus as something other than human, which he was, but he was also fully human, as full human as you are. Came out of Mary's womb impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see that and believe that through the eyes of faith. And we can't explain it as we believe it. But he was fully human. And, the, and also the Christ, God in the flesh, God with us. And in that experience, he lived his human life, lived his human life like you're living your human life, just like you were born. He was born just like you will die. He died, nothing different. And he rose again, he resurrected. But he died first. And he resurrected sec after that. And now that's on offer for all the world. That's what the Bible tells us. The end isn't heaven or hell, the end is resurrection. New heavens, new earth. Again, read Revelation. Read the Old Testament. Read the Gospels. Read the writings of Paul. Resurrections mentioned everywhere. Not dying and going to heaven. Dying, resting in death, resurrection. That's what Jesus modeled for us. Dying on Friday, resting in death on the Sabbath on Saturday, resurrection on Sunday. Easy peasy. I don't know why we try to muck it up and confuse everybody. But that's a whole nother set of shows. <laughs> Okay, and it's a good one. It's so simple. Jesus models it for us. Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. And resurrection, again, I'll review. Resurrection doesn't happen in heaven. Resurrection is an earthly experience. Resurrection on the earth. Our home is the earth. We were from the earth. We're made from the dust of the earth. God breathed his breath into us so that we are no longer animals from an animal body, but now we were a hybrid creature. We're not angels. We're humans from the earth. This is our home. And God's coming here. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Where's earth for us? Earth for us today right now is Altamont Springs in the rich heartland of Altamont Springs. Right? Your earth may be Mount Dora. Your earth may be Lakeland. Your earth may be New York. Your earth may be California. Ukraine. Cal California could be anywhere, but your earth is on the earth. Yes. And that's where God has come in himself, named Jesus. Okay. So Jesus lived his life and just had, had a ministry. 
and uh, did some wonderful things. He was a wonder-working rabbi. He healed the sick, and he raised the dead, and he cleansed the lepers and did all sorts of things. He had a miraculous ministry career that he and his cousin John the Baptist were partners for a while, and then John's ministry took him in a different direction, and Jesus' ministry took him in a different direction. And Jesus began to say things and do things that were kind of upsetting the status quo. And he was starting to put himself in, in, in personification of, of Old Testament prophecies. And he began to upset people, and he began to step on the toes of the religious establishment. But at the same time, they couldn't deny his power. And they couldn't ignore him because he was something was happening and he was rocking the boat and the people loved him. They wanted to make him king. They want the people of Israel wanted to make him king and he came to be king. He came to be the perfect king of Israel. By the way, let me say this, you know, um, there was Herod the Great. This is a total sideline. There was Herod the Great, who was Herod the Great at the time of Jesus's birth in the Christmas story we read of Herod, Herod the Great. He was a king. He was King Herod. He was kinged and crowned by the Roman government. He was a, he was a puppet. He was a puppet king. He wasn't even Jewish. He, had, he was not Jewish at all. He was Edomite. He was from the line of Esau. He was not Jewish. He was not from the line of Jacob. And, um, but he had married into a Jewish royalty through the uh, Maccabean family which had been longtime Jewish royals and aristocracy at the time. He married into it, and he was a shrewd man, so he became king at the hands of the Roman government. But after he died, his whole province, which is Israel, Judea, that whole area, these, uh, Roman, uh, the emperor said uh, Herod was a great leader, a great king, but his sons don't have it. And that, land, that region is very turbulent. All those people, all those Jews and their weird religion and all their sacrificing, they, Herod, could, Herod could corral them through fear and tyranny, but I don't think his sons can do it. So his, the, the Augustus sectioned off the land and his four, there were four sons of Herod that got portions of the land upon Herod's death. What's my point? My point is this. King Herod was a king. But after King Herod died, there was one more king that was crowned king in Israel. Do you know who that was? I don't. I don't remember. Jesus. Jesus was the last king crowned in Israel. After King Herod, there was no other king crowned in Israel except King Jesus. But King Jesus was crowned on a cross. He had a crown of thorns. He had a royal purple robe before they stripped it off of him to put him on his, to raise him high, not on his throne, but on his cross. And then he had a placard on top that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It gave his name, it gave where he was from, and it gave his title. This was the last king crowned in Israel. <laughs> Mic drop. Okay. Anyway, so, but before, about 12 hours before this became reality, Jesus had a meal with his disciples called the Last Supper, we call it, where we get the institution of communion, Eucharist, the bread and the wine. There's the betraying of Judas that had happened beforehand. Judas had gone to the religious establishment 
um, basically selling Jesus for the price of a slave, which was 30 pieces of silver. So Jesus, and Jesus knew all this. Um, and Jesus even kind of uncovered Judas at this dinner, the Last Supper. Um, I think trying to redeem him, trying to bring him back, Jesus lovingly told Judas what he had done. Someone has betrayed me. And then Jesus said in one of the gospels, Judas, go do what you need to do. But Jesus, Jesus knew what was happening. So he's with his, um, so the setting for the start of where we're going to start here in a few minutes, few moments is the last supper. And I really de 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 debated about what to talk about during Holy Week because there's so much you can talk about and all of it's powerful. But as I was reading, folks, I just came across this little passage that's kind of overlooked sometimes because it's not very exciting. And it's kind of the kind of the dark moment of the whole gospel, the whole passion narrative. But what I realized is it's the turning point in the deepest part of Jesus's heart in regards to what's about to happen to him. And it's his prayer in Gethsemane. Again, he had had the Last Supper. Judas had left the scene to go do his work. At the same time, the temple establishment were trying. Remind you, there's Passover going on in Jerusalem, the biggest festival of the year. Jerusalem was a small city packed with hundreds of thousands of follow of Jews coming to celebrate. It was a very turbulent time. And the last thing the Jewish authorities wanted was a riot. So they said, we got to get rid of Jesus because if not, there could be a horrible riot on our hands this year. But they didn't want to make his arrest a riot. So they're trying to do everything. In fact, Matthew earlier, the high priest says, let's wait until after Passover to do this work with Jesus, this dirty work of snubbing him out so that we don't cause a riot and upset the Romans. Um, but the way things happened, and Jesus kind of started it by uncovering Judas's actions. And then Judas went and told what had happened to the temple. And they realized they had to do their work that night, overnight. They couldn't wait until after Passover. They had to finish the dirty work that night because the cat was already out of the bag. Jesus had uncovered them. So everything sped up. So Jesus shuts down the Last Supper. He feeds them. He blesses his disciples. He teaches them. And then they leave that place because now Jesus is kind of on the run. So they leave the upper room where they had the Last Supper and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the other side of the Kidron Valley where you could see Jerusalem, but you weren't in Jerusalem. And it was a garden. It was a garden, kind of like the Garden of Eden. It was a garden. He went to the garden to pray. And so they went to Gethsemane and it was a local hangout for Jesus and his crew. Because again, anytime Jesus was in Jerusalem, it could get messy. But Jesus and his disciples would hang out in the garden and chill, relax, hang out, and still be accessible to the city of Jerusalem. So that's where our story takes place. So let's go right now to Matthew chapter 26, 10 short verses. Um, have it your way is the title. Then Jesus went with them to a garden called Gethsemane and told his disciples, stay here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter 
and the two sons of Jebedee, James and John, Peter, James, and John, which by the way, these are the same three disciples that Jesus invited to, to the top of the mountain for the transfiguration. So these were three of Jesus's closest disciples. He was pouring the most into these three young men. They witnessed the transfiguration. Now he called them out to join him as he went deeper into the garden to pray. And, the, the, and also to these three young men, this is where he felt most open to be vulnerable. He plunged into an agonizing sorrow. And then he said, this sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Jesus did not want to be alone. Jesus was dependent upon the relationship with these three young men. He did not want to go into this darkness by himself. He was vulnerable. He did not want to be left alone. He was God in the flesh, yes, but he was also human. He, he felt, he felt, but he had never felt shame. He had never felt guilt. He had never felt condemnation, and which are bodily feelings. I know what shame feels like. I've lived shameful in my life in the past. Maybe you have too. If you know the feeling of shame, it's a bodily feeling. It hurts unlike anything else. And Jesus had never felt that, but he knew that it, in moments, things would be changing in his life as much as he could know. And he did not want to be alone. It was dark, it was nighttime, and he knew the next day had a cutoff point. By sundown the next day, they started the Passover and there, everything had to be shut down. So whatever was gonna to happen to him would happen quickly in less than 24 hours. Jesus knew that because that was the calendar. Okay, and so he goes into the sorrow. If you've ever had a panic attack, I think that's the least of what Jesus was feeling. I've had severe panic attacks in my life, and they're awful. I feel like I'm going to die, and I did not want to be left alone. I know the feeling. I think Jesus was, was beginning to feel what a major panic attack feels like, only more so. That's the only way I can relate to it. Maybe you can too. Going a little ahead, he fell on his face praying. If you've had a panic attack, you start praying quick because you think your heart's going to explode out of your chest. This is where Jesus was at. At least this is where he was at. Going a little ahead, he fell on his face praying, My Father, if there's any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want, but what you want. He was just reciting what he knew. He was reciting what he was standing on. Did he mean it? I don't know. I, I don't know the mind of Christ at that point. But I know what he was reciting, what he knew he had to do. Not what I want. I don't want this, God. I don't want this, my father. He said, my father. He was very personal. He didn't say, my God. He said, my father. If there's any way that you can work this without this, do it. Please let this cup pass. What, but not what I want, what you want. Was he faking it in that statement? I don't know. But he said the words. That's all we know. Okay, next. When he came back to his disciples, he found them sound asleep. But these were the same disciples. Peter, only a few verses prior, said, Lord, if I have to die with you, I will never abandon you. You can count on me. And all the other disciples chimed in. Yeah, that's right, bro. You tell him. You tell, you tell Jesus. We're with him. Read Matthew 26, the section before this. Twice, Peter said, Jesus, I ain't going anywhere. I don't know about the rest of these rugrats, but I, I'll be with you. And Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows at 3 a.m., before the bugle call of the Roman changing of the guard, which happens at 3 a.m., you're going to deny me not once, not twice, three times, Peter. 
Who do you think you are? Do you, you're not so much in control like you think you are. And then Peter, being the hothead, oh, Jesus, no, you're wrong, man. I'm Peter. I don't know about the rest of these, these guys, but I'm here because you said I'm the one you're standing on. You said I'm going to be the foundation of your new thing you're doing. I'm going to be here. I'll stay awake, Jesus. And then all the other disciples like, yeah, that's right. We'll stay awake too. Well, Jesus comes back after having a massive panic attack, found them asleep. Why is this? He said to Peter, can't you stick it out a single hour? I think Jesus was kind of being passive aggressive. Can't you, Mr. In Control, Mr. Twice saying, yeah, I'll stick around. Okay. Stay alert. Be in prayer so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing it. You're in danger. There's a part of you that's eager, ready for anything in God. Don't wander into temptation. What is that temptation? Sliding into unfaith. Sliding into saying, God, I'll take over. I know what's best for me. I'll take control. It's the same temptation Adam and Eve experienced. God, we don't need you. We're in control. That is, that is the temptation of all of us. There's one temptation of fighting God for who's in control. And Jesus said, don't wander into that temptation without even knowing it. Okay, let's move on because times are ticking. But there's another part that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. That's Jesus telling the boys. He then left them a second time. Again, he prayed, my father, if there's no way other than this, by drinking this cup to the dregs to the very last, I'm ready. Do it your way. Have it your way, God. Have it your way. Okay? When he came back, he again found them sound asleep. But this time, something was different in Jesus. They simply couldn't keep their eyes open. He was realizing, I can't depend on them, and that's okay, because they're human. They don't know what they're doing yet. And God, you're depending on me, not on them. So instead of, so here's my takeaway, because we got to end in a few moments. And I'm going to come back to this, but I don't want to leave you hanging. The takeaway is there's no one you can depend on in this earth. No one. There isn't. And even at the end of life and death, you know, we all have to face that. But in Christ, there is a, there is a dependable one. And every moment we get to choose. In in Christ, in salvation, you can depend on God. Jesus had to keep reminding himself. And I see in this, this episode, Jesus, if there's any bit of codependence that Jesus had on Peter, James, and John, which I think there was because he hand-selected them out twice. I think he had a special affection for them as friends, as confidants, as brothers, as comrades in arms, as whatever you want to say, as besties, BFF. These were the three friends he liked a little bit more than the rest. They all kind of understood and got along and it was okay. Because we're all like that. We all have those people we're drawn to. And Jesus was no different. But at this moment in time, he could not depend on them. And at first he got mad at them. Can't you, can't you stay awake? He was passive aggressive. Like, come on. What about what you just told me? But then he goes back a second time and sees them sleeping and is able to accept it. This time he let them sleep on and went back a third time to pray, saying the same prayer again, almost like to saying to his father, okay, God, it's just you and me now, and it's okay. So what happened after that? 
when he came back the next time, he said, are you going to sleep and make a whole night of it? He was kind of a casual. You're going to go ahead and have a nice rest. Well, go ahead and get your beauty sleep. My time is up. The Son of Man is about to be handed over. To the hands of sinners, get up, let's get going. My betrayer is here. This is a man who has found a new confidence in God. He knows what's ahead of him. It was never a secret. But now he's able to leave the garden and in confidence approach Judas, who is about to throw him under the bus royally. And he knows it. But he's confident. He's assured. He's now in charge. This is the man who's in charge of his own death. With God, all things are possible.